This morning, uh, as we continue talking about David's life and the lessons that we can learn from it, we're going to be talking about how there are seasons in life where you know where you're headed and you're frustrated because you're just not there yet. You know, you know what that's, that's like to know uh, you've got a destination, you've got an end, you've got a goal, and it's just taking you so long to get there? Um, and, and we're going to start today. I've got a, a video that we're going to watch. Uh, this video is from uh, 2016 Miss America, Deshana Barber. And she's giving a graduation speech shortly after uh, she became Miss America. And, and I want you to hear some of what she says about that gap between knowing that you're headed in a certain direction and being so impatient because you're just not there yet. And I think it's going to be helpful for us in kind of illustrating what, what David is experiencing as he's waiting uh, to become king. So let's jump into this video real quick. She then asked me, were you born in this country? And I was immediately offended. And I said, yeah, I was born in this country. And then she says, do you have any kids? I said, no, I don't have any kids. She then asked me if I was married, and then I said, no, ma'am, I am not married. She says, how old are you? I said, 19. May I help you find something? She then says, you are the most beautiful girl I have seen. And I said, oh, thank you. And then she says, I think you could be the next Miss USA. I'm in the Army, okay? We don't do pageants in the Army. She then asked me to meet her at Starbucks the very next day before my next shift at Target. And apparently I was a pretty open-minded 19-year-old because I actually agreed to meet her the very next day. The next day she brought this foot-tall stack of pageant books and proceeds to convince me to enter into a state pageant. So three months later, I compete in my first pageant and I lose. I go back the second year, compete in the state pageant, I lose. Go back the third year, compete in the state pageant and lose. Go back the fourth year, compete in the same pageant and lose. I go back the fifth year, y'all, <laughs> compete in the state pageant and lose. But guess what? I go back the sixth year, guess what happens? I lose. <laughs> I called her on the phone and said, you told me I could be the next Miss USA. And she says, Deshauna, keep working, keep working. Don't quit, keep going back. And in June of 2015, she passes away from leukemia. Six months later, in December 2015, I win Miss District of Columbia, USA. And six months after that, in June of 2016, I become the first soldier to win Miss USA. At times, our purpose drops in our laps as if the heavens threw it by accident. I ask only one thing of you all today after you leave this building. Do not fear failure, but please be terrified of regret. Giving up is the birth of regret. After you walk out this door, you will receive a hundred doors shut slam in your face. You will have a hundred moments that will be filled with someone telling you no, or telling you, thank you for your application, but we regret to inform you that we've chosen a different candidate for this job. You will sit in a hundred different interviews and you will not get the job. 
The reality of life is that we will all hear more no's than we hear yeses. And we will fail a lot, and I mean a whole lot. But what I ask of you today is to not take no for an answer. Don't be afraid of no's. Be afraid of the possibility of a yes that you have prematurely destroyed because you decided to quit before the clock strikes 12. I love a good no. Please tell me no. Telling me no is like adding fuel to a fire that is now set ablaze because of your single no. So today I challenge you to fight, to work, to not stop here, to believe so heavily in your aspirations that you too will not fear the word no, but instead you will choose to welcome it. We live in this gap. We live in the gap between the promises that God has given us and, and the reality of our life today. And I, and I thought, man, this is just going to be so good. And then I watched the video and thought, man, she's got really good Rocky fight song music, and I've got to get up and preach without that. Uh, this is going to feel like a long sermon. Um, I, I love her story. And, and from working at Target and having this woman come up to her and say, I think you can be something. I think you can do something. And then having the courage to actually follow through year after year after year of hearing no and no and no, and yet still chasing the yes and letting the no be something that, that fuels you is an incredible thing. And I think so many of us, our, we get run down by a no. We get run down. We get discouraged. And, and someone says no, and we believe them, and that's the end of it for us. And so when you go into the life of David, we're going to see some of what she talked about here is that David is going to be, as, as a teenager, promised that God's going to make him the next king of Israel. And then for a long time, his life does not look very royal. And it would be easy to get discouraged. But what we see is over and over again, David allows God to be growing him in the season of no and in the season of wait. And that happens for us a lot of times in our lives. So often there are times that we're told that if we just start taking a few steps down this road, that we're going to get the reward, that we'll get the, the, to the destination. You're told if you go to college and you get that degree, then you're going to be able to turn it into your dream job right away. And you have graduation and you keep not getting the job that you've been working for for years. You find out that someone tells you, listen, just start at the bottom rung on this company and just start climbing the ladder. And if you work hard, you'll eventually get to the top corner office. And yet year after year, you're working and still looking up at the bottom rung. We're told that there's uh, often a gap between promise and fulfillment, but it feels bad to live in that gap. Years later, we can still be waiting for a breakthrough. We live in this gap of delayed expectations. And, and what it looks like is you call your friends and you call the people that, that you trust and you love and your family, and they say, how's it going? And you're like, I'm just stuck. I'm still stuck, and I want to get over there, and I'm still stuck way over here. And I want to get there, and I'm doing the work. I'm, I'm doing the things that people keep telling me I need to do, and I keep not getting where I need to go. And for some of us, this means uh, we may want to be changing our lives. It's not just about careers. 
It could be that you're looking at, at, at a clean life and sobriety and a, avoiding sin and temptation. And you're like, man, it's just right there. And I keep pushing against it, but I'm still stuck over here battling against my struggles. I'm still stuck over here with no self-confidence, dreaming of the day that I can believe in myself. And God promises us all kinds of things in Scripture. And we sometimes look at the promises and we look at our reality and we think, how do I get from here to there? And we want to get there fast. I want to be there yesterday. I want my goals to come true tomorrow. And we keep waiting for the short-term opportunity to turn into a long-term career or for, for our struggles to turn into successes. And we're stuck in this gap. And this happens over and over again in Scripture. In fact, we can take great encouragement from the fact that there's so many people in the Bible that have lived in this expectation gap. But a lot of times we miss it. And, and here's why I think we miss it. We go to the story of Noah building an ark. And, and you read the story of Noah building the ark. He spends decades with his kids and his wife and their spouses building this ark to put all the animals on, right? Decades. What's something, Noah spent more years building that ark than I've lived so far. But we forget about that sometimes. Because you know how long it took Noah to build that ark? About one page. <laughs> Not that long. It took about three paragraphs. Ark done. We go to the story of Joseph. Joseph has dreams that someday his father and his brothers will all bow down to him, that he's going to be this, this ruler that's going to save uh, the people. And he has this dream, and then all of a sudden he's down in the bottom of a pit. And all of a sudden he's sold into slavery in Egypt. And he's there for years, and he rises to the top, but then he's accused falsely of attempting rape, and he goes to jail uh, for doing nothing wrong. In fact, for doing everything right, he's in jail. And, and in the jail, he eventually rises to the top, and he, he prophesies and gives people a, a vision of their a translation and interpretation of their dreams. And he says, don't forget me when you go back to Pharaoh's house. And he's forgotten. Do you know how long Joseph thought, my dreams are right over there, and I'm just getting farther and farther away from them. God, when are you going to make good on the promise of the expectations you gave me? You know about how long Joseph had to suffer all of those things? About three pages. Not that long. You can read it in one cup of coffee. Experience all of Joseph's endurance and suffering. Caleb and Joshua go into the promised land and all the other spies that are with them said, there's giants here, there's fortified cities here. We can't conquer this. Caleb and Joshua said, yeah, we can. You know what's bigger than giants and fortified cities? God is. He got us out of Pharaoh's nation, out of Pharaoh's slavery. You're scared of these guys? God says, no, if 10 of you don't believe, you're not ready. You're going to wander in the wilderness until this entire generation passes away. Joshua and Caleb are looking at the promised land over there. Say, God, you promised us, and we had faith. And God says, yeah, you're going to have to wait a couple pages. And we read these stories, and we miss that this gap is for seasons, 
It's for years. It's for decades. We go through a couple bad months and we're thinking, man, I get what Job went through. No, you don't. No, you don't. Decades. And, and, and these people, these heroes in Scripture who are going through these, these years and decades of their lives where they're struggling and they're suffering and they're stuck over here looking over there and they're in the anguish of that gap. And it hurts and it feels bad. And we long to be where God promises we're going. We long to be there. But we need to acknowledge that this gap exists and we need to see how it's working in Scripture so that we can be thankful that God is with us in the gap. Because here's what you need to see is, is today in David's life, what we're going to be talking about is how in the gap between David being anointed that he's going to be the next king and the time when he finally becomes that, God's doing important stuff in David's life. So David's a, a, about a... 14 to 17 year old young man when Jesse first comes uh, when Samuel first comes to Jesse's house and anoints David and says you're going to be the next king of Israel and if you if there's one thing that should be said about 14 to 17 year old boys is that they're really patient right uh, and you have to wait to let that joke settle in you got there quick right you're going to be the next king don't you think David's next question was when? Not now. Not yet. It's going to be, he's going to be 23 when he first gets anointed to be king. But he doesn't get anointed king over Israel. He gets anointed king over Judah. And if you're not familiar with, with the Old Testament kind of politics, what you need to know is that there's generally uh, two parts of Israel. Uh, our country, from a lot of its history, has had the north and the south, and that's less true today than it used to be. But that was always true in Israel's history. There's the ten northern tribes, and then there's the two southern tribes. And the southern tribes are generally called Judah. David is from Judah. Saul, the king before him, was from Benjamin, which is also a southern tribe. But at that time, it was more aligned with the ten northern tribes. When David becomes king, when he's first anointed, he's only made king of his tribe. What happens after that is there's this season where he is king of Judah and the house of Saul continues to rule over the other 11 tribes. And there's this war between the house of David and the house of Saul. And we don't talk about it a whole, long, a whole lot. And it lasts seven years that this war is going on between the house of Saul and the house of David. And there is civil war going on in Israel between Judah and the other tribes. Um, but, but don't worry, it really only lasts about one page. But for David, he's waiting 12, 13, 14 years to see this promise of, of being king of Israel take place. And he's waiting and he's living in this gap between expectation and fulfillment of promises. And this season for him is filled with, uh, with all kinds of stresses. For the years between his anointing uh, by Jesse and his house and his becoming king of Judah, he spends most of that on the run and in exile. He spends most of those years trying to escape King Saul because Saul has realized that David is more popular. 
He realized that David has more uh, advantages. He's better on the battlefield. And God has left Saul and gone to David. And Saul knows it. And so Saul does things like trying to pin David on the wall with the spear to solve that problem. And David has to flee. And David lives in the caves and he lives out uh, in the fields and he's constantly on the move trying to not be where Saul's looking for him. And over and over again, Saul sends out a group to try and find David and to kill him. So often people that aid David and give him uh, care and provision and take care of him are later killed because they supported the one who was going to eventually replace Saul. This is a horrible way to live in exile, running for your life. But throughout all of these years of David going all over the place, trying to not be killed by Saul, God is growing him and blessing him. And there's all these little things that are happening in this season that is preparing David for the destination that God has in mind for him. If you go back and you think about the boy who is in the field, who when Samuel shows up at Jesse's house, uh, Samuel says, one of your sons is going to be king, and Jesse doesn't even think to bring David in from the fields. You think that guy's ready to be the ruler of a nation? You think that guy's ready to be the leader of the military? You think that guy's ready to be the one who's providing for all the people and, and, and handling the logistics and the legal issues and the, the justice department of a nation of Israel? Not He's not ready. Not at all. He's not ready. But what God does is he takes David and he starts him on a journey. And all along this journey of not getting where David's ready to be, of being in this expectation gap, God's doing stuff in David's life to prepare him. One of the things uh, that happens, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, is that David defeats Goliath. Um, I don't know if you know this, but defeating giants that want to kill your people and enslave them makes you really popular with the other people. But not only does David defeat Goliath, uh, shortly after that, he becomes a famous military ruler and leader in Israel. Saul quickly sees that this young man, David, has a lot of potential to lead the troops on the battlefield. And so he starts bringing him in for campaigns. Uh, on one verse it says, uh, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. When you're king, uh, that's not the role you want to play in the singing of the crowds, is second place. But David's reputation is growing. It says later in that same chapter that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him, gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of David. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. You see there in that last verse that Israel and Judah are listed as separate groups. Uh, it's because they, the tension among them is so real that they're functioning as as separate people groups, and that even both groups love David is the point here. 
And so David is, because he's growing so much in popularity, Saul says, I've got to get this guy out of, the, out of my royal court. I'm going to send him to the battlefield. Well, all that happens on the battlefield is that David's reputation improves. But not just his reputation. When you're in charge of a thousand men on the battlefield, you've got to look after their supplies. You've got to figure out which direction they're going to go. You've got to get command over your lieutenants and sergeants. You've got to make sure that there's order in the camp. Saul, while trying to reduce David's likelihood of replacing him as king, just put him in boot camp to become the next king. David is gaining all that he needs, and his uh, skills and his abilities, but also his reputation, grows. And so just a few chapters before this, David, uh, the young man, shows up at the battlefield where he says, listen, let me kill this giant. When he first walks onto the scene of that day, someone looks over at him and says, what are you doing here on the battlefield, boy? It's Goliath's question when he stands in front of the giant. David argues that he is, in fact, completely qualified to take the giant down. But now, just a few pages later, which is years later in David's life, uh, people aren't saying anymore, who told you you could come to the battlefield? He's commanding a thousand men and winning with great success. As he goes through this season, uh, we read that Saul's daughter Michael was in love with David. Uh, Saul, after the Goliath thing, offered one of his daughters to marry David, and David said, no thanks. And then later he offers another uh, daughter to marry uh, David, and David says, who am I to marry uh, one of your daughters? And then finally the third one falls in love with him, and they come up with some arrangement and agree, uh, yeah, you can marry the third one. So Saul's daughter Michael was in love with David, and when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him in marriage, he thought so that she may be a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. So Saul continues to try and come up with strategies. I'm not entirely sure how marrying his daughter would become bad news for David. Saul thinks it will. Um, Saul continues to try and work ill into David's life, and it keeps doing good things. Because now David is not only of the tribe of Judah, but he's married into the royal family of the tribe of Benjamin, which is over all of Israel. And he has these connections now and claims to the throne that he did not have previously. And his challenge is never going to be to become king of Judah, his tribe. It's to become king over Israel, to get all the hearts and minds and allegiances of the nation. He gained friendships throughout this season of the delayed expectation of what God had promised. So many important friendships. Friendships from people in high places and in low places, uh, which it turns out for David's growth to who he needs to become, he needs both of these groups. And so one of the most important relationships that David has uh, emerges during this season of waiting with Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of Saul and should be, by all expectations, the next king of Israel. But Jonathan develops this friendship with David, this allegiance to David that is greater than his desire to be the next king. And so when he sees that God favors David and not him, he doesn't allow his own jealousy to to reign in him. Instead, what he does is he says, man, I'm going to protect you from my crazy dad that wants to kill you. 
David over and over again is like, I think your dad wants to kill me. And Jonathan's like, I don't think he does. And David's like, why don't you go check? And then Jonathan has to come back and be like, yeah, you're going to want to leave for a little bit. I've heard there's some caves down south. You might try those out for a little while. My dad does want to kill you. But Jonathan, over and over again, takes care of him, connects with him, gets in a covenant friendship with him. But not only Jonathan, uh, later uh, as David is traveling around, uh, at times he had the command over a thousand of Israel's uh, formal troops. But David left Gath, which is an area close to the Philistines, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And so David's now building his own military group, his own uh, band of warriors, and his family and his brothers have joined that. But then he starts to collect these other soldiers that are going to be part of his group. Here's who he gets. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Um, In other areas of scripture, when a group of this gets together, they get described as things like ruffians and scoundrels. He's collecting all the bad boys of Israel. No one else wants them, and he says, come on, you can be part of my group. He gets 400. Later it grows to 600. Uh, Of this 600 men, there are 30 who will later be described as David's mighty men or his mighty warriors. And there's all these descriptions about how they do crazy stuff. This group of of kind of ruffians that starts traveling with David is is like the elite fighters of the entire nation, and they're loyal to David. On several occasions, they go into battle with the Philistines, and they whoop the Philistines. On several occasions, they're going to go to battle with the house of Saul, and they destroy those who are fighting against them from the house of Saul. Uh, We'll we'll get more into these guys in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about David's friendships and their importance. But during this season of David being in the expectation gap between here and where he's going, God surrounds him with this group of fighters that are going to sustain his influence and power in the country where he's going to reign over eventually by giving him these relationships that go from the heir to the throne to the scoundrels that no one else wants around. And these relationships become important to him becoming who God needs him and wants him and plans for him and promises him that he's going to be. He gains influence in both the north and the south in times when he is with either the military or his ruffian group, his warriors, destroying the enemies of Israel. At times he has to go live among the enemies and be present to them because he's so afraid that Saul's going to get him and kill him. He gains leadership experience that a shepherd would never be able to gain. He learns that he could trust God even when it looks like you're not getting any closer to your goal, and maybe you never will, becoming so discouraged that he's not even living in Israel at some points. The gap lasts for a decade, year after year, and David just keeps gaining maturity and wisdom. Perhaps more than anything, he develops patience, gratitude that God is with him even as he goes through the valley of the shadow of death. On many occasions later, when David is in the promised role of king over all of Israel, 
we see that the lessons he learned in these seasons of delay, these seasons of patience, these seasons of waiting, give him the wisdom he needs to be the good king. To not get anxious about what's happening in the short term because he's more interested in the long term. When Saul and Jonathan are eventually killed in battle, uh, most young men in that moment would have said, finally, I don't have to run anymore. The one who tried to kill me has been killed. Finally, I I don't have to worry anymore about the threat on my life. Finally, I can be king. But David doesn't do that. David's not interested in the shortcuts. David grieves that the first anointed of Israel has died. He grieves that his friend, his, Saul's son, Jonathan, has died. He kills the people who celebrate in their death. He says, well, we don't celebrate the death of God's anointed, even if he's been trying to kill me. Because David has learned by that point that it's okay to wait. It's okay to let things happen on God's timing. There's another part of the speech uh, that Deshana Barber gave that we watched a little bit of earlier, and I want to read this part to you because I think it describes so much of what's going on in David's life. In another part of that same speech, uh, she talks about joining the track team in middle school. She said, giving up is something I did a lot growing up, and I don't think I really challenged myself to stick to anything until I joined the track team in middle school. I remember having to ask my mom after tryouts and making it to the team for my very first pair of track shoes. Now at the time, she walks into our house and she has a bag that has a nice big Nike check on the side of it. So I get excited because I wasn't getting new shoes very often back then. And I go to take the shoe box out of the bag and I notice that it says size nine on it. Mind you, in seventh grade, I was a size five, she says. She opens the box and she slides her feet in the shoe and she looks at her mom and she says, these shoes are too big. And her mom says, I know, I did that on purpose because I know that you're going to grow into them. So she takes her shoes and the coach has her line up on the starting line and she wants, uh, the coach wants them to run a lap around the track and as he, they go to take off, she immediately falls to the ground. She twists her ankle because the shoes are entirely too big. She says, I learned something from those shoes. I learned that uh, many of us have goals that we're trying to achieve, but the person we are right now is not the person we need to be when we cross the finish line to our dreams. So we must walk and pace ourselves on this journey to our goals because we haven't grown enough in ourselves to fit the shoes that we need to be in to achieve our aspirations. Let me tell you something, Tashana says, If I would have won Miss USA on my very first year, I would not have been Miss USA. I would not have been the version of myself that I needed to be to properly handle a national title and all the things that came with that. Many of us aren't ready to walk the race. But understand that as we walk the race, we pace ourselves. And as we pace ourselves, we grow. And as we grow, our foot gets bigger. And as our foot gets bigger, our shoes begin to fill. And as our shoes begin to fill, we can now run a little bit faster. And as we pick up the pace, we get to the finish line at the exact time we are destined to cross it. David wasn't ready to be king when Samuel anointed him. He wasn't ready to be king of all of Israel when he became king of Judah. 
But all through these seasons of suffering and running and escaping, God is growing David so that when he becomes king of Israel, he's ready. And so whatever it is that you're thinking of as we talk about this today, that you're thinking, man, I am over here and I want to be over there. When am I going to get there? Just keep walking. Just keep walking until God grows you into the shoes that you need to be able to run in when you get to the finish line. Because God's doing stuff in you. God is growing you. God is maturing you. Know that He's present. You're not alone. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten the promises and the goals and the ambitions that He's placed in your heart. But He's growing you to be ready to get there. So that when you get there, you're ready to run. You're ready to rule. You're ready to reign like David did. When we trust God in the midst of our delayed expectations, we come out stronger. We come out more grateful. We come out more faithful. So enjoy the journey. God's doing something. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm not even on this journey. I'm not even walking with God. I've never even made him the Lord and master and ruler of my life. And you want to do that today so that God can start growing you up towards the finish line, growing you up towards the masterpiece that he has in store for you. And if you need to respond to that invitation today, come forward this morning as we stand and sing.